Let's talk tiebreakers. Who do the Pacers care about in the standings and how are they doing in the tiebreaker department when it comes to chasing a play-in or postseason berth? We'll get to all the Eastern Conference teams plus Pacers Spurs tonight. Noah Magaro, George from Air Alamo will join us to talk Pacers Spurs. Lots to get to on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, lots of interesting stuff to get to looking at the standing spacers of one, two in a row. What tiebreakers? Do they care about what teams around them? Do they have the tiebreaker over? And do they not have the tiebreaker over but can still clinch? And a lot of other factors involved there. And then we'll talk Pacers Spurs to close today's show. Noah Magaro George will join us from Air Alamo to talk all things Spurs ahead of tonight's game. Pacers and Spurs, very different situations from when they played the first time earlier in the season. But before we get to any of that, we have to start on a much different note because longtime Pacers media relations director David Benner passed away on Wednesday. The Pacers shared it and announced it. That's just terribly sad news. Benner retired at the end of the 2021-22 season. And I would just like to offer my thoughts to the, to the family and friends of David Benner because he was, so, you know, he touched everybody he knew and met in, in such a joyous way. He was so nice and helpful for me when my first practice, some wide eyed, immature 20 something that, didn't know what I was doing. He was so helpful every step of the way and always was serious at the right times and jovial at the right times. And he was with the franchise since 1994. For many of you listening, likely your entire lifetime. He is a, a face of and an icon in the Pacers franchise. The media workroom is named after him and just an A-plus person and a franchise legend, right? If you know of the Pacers and the Reggie Miller finger wag pointing in his face celebration, that is David Benner and re a reason that he will always be remembered within the Pacers franchise. He was always helpful, kind, and witty to anyone that he spoke with, and he made others a priority. People from out of town, media members alike, whatever they were doing, and his own friends. He was always so selfless in that way. He will be dearly missed by many. And I think a lot of people who knew him well shared very uh, solid thoughts about the impact that he had on, on others and the NBA and the franchise, starting with Tim Bontemps at ESPN, who said, Benner was such a kind guy and always took the time to make sure everything was okay whenever anyone came through Indy. That always meant a lot to me, especially when I was a young reporter getting started in my career. And I know many around the NBA feel the same way. And I echo those thoughts, as well as Mark Boyle, the, the Pacers radio voice who said, when I broke into the NBA, Benny showed me the ropes and helped me avoid the hurdles and landmines that any newbie faces. He became a cherished friend and we shared countless nights on the road during our travels. A wonderful man that leaves a void that will never be filled. Miles Turner chimed in as well, the longest standing Pacer who said, this one cuts deep. DB was someone whose relationship I cherished from the moment I arrived in Indy. Little things like taking me to dinner or just sharing some friendly stories went such a long way me. Reggie Miller, of course, chiming in on Instagram as well. And the Pacers chiming in in several ways. Kevin Pritchard, for example, saying in a statement, it's difficult to put into words just what David Benner meant to the Indiana Pacers, the NBA, his family and friends. He had an infectious personality and a wonderful sense of humor that was evident to anyone who was ever fortunate enough to meet him. And Herb Simon, the owner of the team, said David embodied the very best of our organization. He was immensely talented, experienced and humble and his passion for our players and the Pacers organization or made him beloved by the coaches and athletes with whom we worked. David meaningfully impacted countless people here and around the league, and he will be missed. We will continue to keep him and his family in our thoughts and prayers. Rest in peace to David Benner, a great guy who was had such a positive impact on so many people, including 
the Pacers franchise as it is now. It's impossible to transition from that to talking about anything about a sport and basketball when a human life comes first. But I'll try my best to talk about tie breakers for the Pacers. The playoffs in reach now, only two out of the play-in, a little bit behind Chicago for 11, distant themselves from the 13th-seeded Magic with a win earlier this week. And the tiebreaker situation matters a great deal. It does every year. It impacts your seeding. and impacts if you make the playoffs or not. So how do the Pacers fare in the tiebreaker situation with less than 20 games left of the season to go? Well, the way I chose the teams to discuss here is, first, I said if the Pacers win all their games, what would their winning percentage be? And then if the teams had a better win percentage than that right now, I cut them out. That's the top five seeds in the East. I didn't think about the Knicks, the Cavs, the Bucks, the Celtics, or the 76ers. And I did the opposite. If the Pacers lose every game the rest of the way, what would their percentage be? And then do any teams have a lower winning percentage than that? That is the case. The Hornets and the Pistons do. So I rolled them out. Every other team I included in this exercise because, I mean, the Pacers aren't going to go undefeated the rest of the way, but what is within the realm of possibility, and it's not like impossible anyway to just look at the standings and go, okay, yeah, they're five, six and a half back of the six seed. That's almost certainly not going to happen, but I left it in there because the team that's in sixth is really slumping and the Pacers are closer to the rest of these teams. So we'll start with that team. That's the Nets. They are currently in sixth, slumping hard. They've won only two of their last 10 games. They traded away Kevin Durant, for losers of four straight. Pacers and Nets tied in the series at two to two. So the tiebreaker for them in the head to head is dead even. Uh, but we have to talk about what all the tiebreakers are as we progress down the list anyway. And I think here is a good place to talk about it. The first one is that head to head Pacers and Nets are tied. Then if one of the teams is a division leader, that team wins it by default. The Nets are not going to win the Atlantic division. The Pacers are not going to win the central. Then you drop down to division record. If the teams are in the same division, Pacers and Nets are not. And then it's conference record. The Nets have a great conference record, but the Pacers also have a pretty good conference record. It's possible for the Pacers to catch them. And we'll talk more about that kind of stuff as we progress. But that one is hanging in the balance and depends on conference games. The second tiebreaker is the heat right now at seven. That one is also two to two on the season, although this one is different because the Heat are in the Southeast Division, and that division stinks. (laughs) That division is the Heat, the Hornets, the Magic, the Wizards, and the Hawks. Someone has to win it, and unfortunately for the Pacers, the Heat, the Hawks, and the Wizards are, uh, again, it's maybe a little unreasonable to think the Pacers could catch the Heat or even maybe the Hawks, but it's possible, and one of those teams, maybe the Wizards even, will win the Southeast Division, and that team will likely, if it's the Heat especially, have the tiebreaker over the Pacers because of that. So the Pacers will hope that the Heat do not win the division, and we'll talk about the Wizards and the Hawks as we progress, but the Pacers specifically, for tiebreaker purposes, will hope a specific one of those teams actually wins the Southeast division. But as it stands right now, the Heat would have the tiebreaker over the Pacers because of that, but it's not impossible that that changes because of the next team, the eighth team in the East right now, the Atlanta Hawks. They have a new coach. They're a little bit better, although they lost their first game with Quinn Snyder. Pacers and Hawks are one and one against each other this season, and there is one game to go. And that's why the Pacers would like the Hawks to win the Southeast division, because if the Pacers beat the Hawks in that one remaining game, even if the Hawks win the division, the Pacers, by virtue of head-to-head, would have the tiebreaker, which means that that is the only way the Pacers would get the advantage over the division champ in that situation. So the Pacers would like to beat the Hawks in that third game because that is the tiebreaker for them right there. That game is really important. March 25th. Remember it as it approaches in three weeks for tiebreaker purposes. 
because if the Hawks win the division, even if they lose the head-to-head with the Pacers, the Pacers will get that win in the tiebreaker. The Raptors are rolling. They've won eight of their last 10. Having a real center has significantly helped them. Doesn't matter, though. Pacers already beat them twice. They only play three times this year. Pacers have and will have, no matter what happens in that third game, the tiebreaker over the Toronto Raptors when the season comes to an end. That one's easy. The Wizards currently in 10th, and the team the Pacers maybe care about the most, the most reasonable team for them to catch uh, for play-in, playoff positioning, whatever. That is 2-2. Two to two. That one is done. That is tied up in the head-to-head. So that slides down to the next rank of this, and that's where the division thing comes into play again. If a crazy situation happens where the Wizards win the division, but it's still like a 10-seed situation, the Wizards would get it because the teams are tied 2-2. If they don't win the division, then that's when it drops down to conference record. And we'll, get again, get to conference record at the end because I think there's a big point to make there that involves every single team, and I don't want to ruin it on an individual matchup. The 11 seed, the team right in front of the Pacers, is the Bulls, who are really inconsistent but have some good players at their best. Currently, the Pacers lead 2-1 to over the Bulls with one game to go against Chicago. And Chicago's in a very unique position when you talk about tiebreakers with the Pacers because if the Bulls win that last game and it's 2-2, the tiebreaker then becomes not conference record, but division record. And the Pacers are currently 4-5 and five against the Central Division, although they have games upcoming against the Cavs, who they've already beaten. They have two more, excuse me, three more against Detroit, that Bulls game, and two more against the Bucks. They can win a significant number of those, but take into account... The Bulls are currently 6-7, and seven, and if they beat the Pacers and require the Central Division to be the tiebreaker, they would have seven wins, so the Pacers would have to hope the Bulls lose some division games, and the Pacers would have to clean up in those to win that tiebreaker. The easiest way is for the Pacers to just beat the Bulls. That game is on Sunday. If they win that game, that would help them significantly for tiebreaker situations down the stretch of the season. The last team to care about is actually behind the Pacers. It's the Orlando Magic. Again, the, the Southeast Division kind of comes into play here. Uh, I don't actually know if it's possible for the Magic to win the division and be tied with the Pacers and for it to matter for playoff seeding because that would mean three different teams are behind them, whatever. Um, but the Magic, the Pacers won it. They uh, they won the season series 3-1, to one, so the division does not even matter. So what you did, the, the, the big summary I would say is what you didn't just hear, the Pacers have not lost the tiebreaker to any team on this list. And it's possible that the only tiebreaker they actually lose in this entire list of teams is whoever wins the Southeast Division, whether that's the Heat, the Hawks, or the Wizards. If they beat the Hawks and then the Hawks win, it's possible for the Pacers to win every tiebreaker on this list because of how this goes. So beyond the head-to-head, the next one is division record, which only matters for the Bulls. If the Pacers beat them, that won't matter. And then after that, it's conference record. And of the teams that we've talked about today, only three of them have a winning record as of right this second against the East. And that's the Nets, who are slumping tremendously, uh, the Bulls at 23 and 21, and the Pacers at 19 and 18. So if the Pacers continue to do well enough to the point that they are in the play-in, that means they played well down the stretch of the season, that likely means their record against East will still be good. So as it stands, because the Pacers' season has kind of been being crap against the West and doing okay against their division and uh, doing well against the teams in this play and mix. The tiebreaker situation for the Pacers looks very good right now. They are they really would like to beat the Hawks. They, of course, would like to beat their division opponent, the Bulls, on Sunday. And if they win both of those games, it's possible that outside of the Southeast Division winner, the Pacers win every single tiebreaker of the relevant teams around them. So I've been asked this question a few times by a couple of people. I wanted to cover it on the show. And if you summarize it all and put it in a list in front of you, you go, Oh, wow. You know, the Pacers really only care about, of course, they have to win those two games that I said against the Bulls and Hawks. But even if they lose 
to the Bulls, that one could still be won by the Pacers. The Hawks one would be tougher, but it's possible for them to be looking very good in the tiebreaker situation as the playoffs or play in approaches. But every game matters a ton. You have to actually get the wins to get to a tie situation. And that's why games like tonight against the lowly Spurs are still important. Pacers need to get a win every chance that they have if they want to reach those goals that we just talked about. Before we bring in Noah Magaro George to talk Pacers, Spurs, and team building as we do, fun to talk team building with someone who covers a franchise who's won six titles in my lifetime. I want to talk to you guys about FanDuel. The NBA season, three quarters of the way through somehow. And FanDuel is your place to go for all your wagering and sports information. It's America's number one sports book. And new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win if you hop on to FanDuel. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained, right? They've got NBA bets abound with the spreads, the money lines. You can bet player props. They have their two-by-three bet, which is will there be two three-pointers made in the first three minutes? And FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com. Slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Now let's bring in Noah Magaro George to talk Pacers Spurs. Let's do it. We are now joined by Noah Magaro George from Air Alamo covering the Spurs. And it used to be for everywhere else that covers the Spurs. I swear I've seen your byline on every Spurs site I've read <laughs> in the past year to talk Pacers Spurs. Two teams that haven't played since the second game of both team season. Back then. The Pacers did not look like they were going to be any good. They started one and four. The Spurs started five and two. That looked like a loss the Pacers could live with. And now that looks a little different given how these team season has gone. <laughs> Noah, I was going to start with uh, talking about a losing streak, but that's not the case anymore. How does it feel on the Spurs end for them to last night beat the Jazz and break a 16 game losing streak? Where's this team headed right now? I think it was a huge relief for all the guys in that locker room. Recently, you had seen a lot of the players and Coach Pop kind of talking about, you know, they're not showing up for 48 minutes and it's really frustrating to loss. And they, they, they understand that fans are on the tank for Wimby or Scoot Henderson train, but they still want to win games. And so I think having ended the longest losing streak in franchise history, that has to be a huge sigh of relief for everyone in the locker room, everybody on the sidelines, everybody in the front office. So really nice for them. Um, I wish I could say it meant that they were going to you know, turn a corner or something like that. But if we're being honest, that Jazz team was missing you know, Jordan Clarkson. They were missing um, you know, Colin Sexton. Ochai Baji left like early in the second half. So it's not like they you know, took down a rolled beater. But you know, a win's a win. I'm sure they'll live with it. And the tank will continue onward. I just went to uh, San Antonio and saw how popular the rodeo is, which I use as my segue to say they're back from the rodeo trip. So maybe a win on the last game of that trip will be just the spark this team needs for a, a fun and interesting end to the season. What kind of has gone into the change when you, you know, we talked about it. They were five and two at the start and then they just had a miserable late January and February. What is the big difference in this team from their early season where they were you know, beating Philly on the road, beating Minnesota looked like a pretty good team to this team now that is, you know, just two games out of the worst record. 
Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of it is injuries have, you know, plagued them all season long, whether it's Romeo Langford or Zach Collins or Blake Wesley or Doug McDermott or Yaka Pirtle, who's no longer with them. Like, you know, injuries have been a huge part of it, but I would be lying to you if I said it wasn't luck. I mean, you look at the beginning of their schedule through those first seven games, they were shooting almost 50% on contested threes. They were shooting above 44% on wide open threes. And they were knocking down the three ball at a high rate. You know, they were taking a franchise record. I think it was like 35 threes per game at that point. The volume has come down. The efficiency has gone way down. And defensively, they weren't good at the beginning of the season either. And it's only gotten worse. So if we're being honest, this team just got lucky at the beginning of the season. I mean, we've seen it from other teams where, you know, you may surprise a few teams that thought you were really bad and they come out and they're complacent and then they just can't catch up. You know, that's what happened with a few of their early opponents. But as far as, you know, what's different from the beginning to now, I would largely say it was luck. <laughs> it can be the case in such small samples. I remember a lot of people, I, I hate when this term is thrown around, but I actually noticed this a little bit when the Spurs played in Indy. We're like, yeah, it's like an effort thing. Like the Spurs are just coming yeah. out so hard and all these teams are kind of like, ah, oh, it's the Spurs. <laughs> and when yeah. they went 5-2, and two, everybody thought, okay, we got to try really hard to take down San Antonio, and that kind of changed the fortunes of their season. Specifically looking at this team as a basketball team, the way they play on the floor, what have they been doing well recently? What have they been doing poorly? And to the end that they've been doing things poorly, do you feel like the Pacers have a good structure to take advantage of those weaknesses the Spurs have? I'll start with the second question. Yeah, I think every team is pretty well equipped to beat the Spurs. As long as you have a functioning <laughs> offense, you should do pretty well. Uh, I've noticed this season, obviously, that there's this is the youngest roster in franchise history. There's a lot of players who've never played with each other. There's a lot of guys who are you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, who it's their first or second year in the league. They're still adjusting to the speed of the league. They're still adjusting to the physicality, the athleticism, new terminology, new coaches. So... You know, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but certainly, you know, I think they probably will be a better defensive team in maybe one or two years. But right now, it makes sense why they're so bad defensively. On the other end, I think they've actually, you know, regardless of them having the 28th or you know the 28th ranked offensive rating in the league, I think that they've shown a little bit more competency here, and I think a lot of it has to do with them running a motion offense. There's less of one guy controlling the ball like Dejounte Murray or. You know, uh, a DeMar DeRozan, there's not really that heliocentrism and there's more of a, you know, equal opportunity motion offense where you know guys are cutting, guys are screening, guys are, you know, diving, guys are, you know, relocating where, it, you know, it's exactly what it sounds like. There's a lot of motion to the offense. There's a lot of moving pieces. Everybody's trying to work together. Now they've turned the ball over a lot, but I think that there've been some really promising signs, especially considering you know, Blake Wesley's in the first year of really becoming a point guard, you know, transitioning from like kind of a combo guard at Notre Dame. And they haven't had Trey Jones for a very long time. And he's pretty much the only point guard on their roster. They added Devontae Graham, but he only plays like 20 minutes per game. So I've been impressed with what they've been able to do, even though it hasn't been much. But I think it's been probably better than we could have expected considering their personnel. Yeah, when you get a lot of young guys in at the same time, it's not just learning how to play in the NBA. It's just learning how to play together. And that's such a big hurdle. So like when you have the early season when Trey Jones and McDermott and Pirtle and Keldon and all the guys are healthy, it's a little better. This is my outsider's perspective. But then when all of a sudden those guys are hurt or traded or whatever, Josh Richardson, I should have mentioned at the beginning, 
all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> you know, this is a lot of hurdles to overcome at the same time. And that does bode well for the future. Like uh, th to compare it to the W, there's a fever shirt behind me on my left. I just <laughs> used the wrong finger to point at it. They had seven draft picks on their team last year out of 12 players. And like they were horrible last year, but <laughs> they all talked about how it was good for them because, you know, somewhat like there's a lot of questions being asked, which is good for the other young players. And it's sometimes a question that you wouldn't have asked, but you're glad someone else did because you learned the thing. You know, like those sort of things are good for your team long term. And I think the Spurs are set up well as a result. I think this game is going to be fascinating because who's going to stop Tyrese Halbert and on the Spurs? Noah, like who is the guy that you think will guard him? And can they slow him down? Because he just ripped apart the magic and Mavs this week. Pacers are 2-0 and on their current road trip. Is there a chance Spurs have a plan that can actually slow him in the Pacers offense down? I don't really think so uh you know pop has asked his guys to be a little more disciplined away from the ball this season so um you know there's not as much digging or stunning or helping uh you know guys are kind of allowed to be on an island at times and it hasn't really boded well for them um you look at a lot of the players on this roster malachi branham has been starting at point guard in place of trey jones well he got injured last game we don't know the timetable of his return so who knows who's starting at point guard next game? You know, it could be Devontae Graham, who's allowing opponents to shoot above 57% for the season this year. Uh, it could be wow. Blake Wesley, who's also been pretty awful on the defensive end. And I'll be fair to him. He's a rookie, but he wasn't particularly good on that end at Notre Dame either. Undisciplined, reaches around a lot, uh, commits a lot of fouls. So I don't see anyone stopping Tyrese Halliburton, and they don't really have a lot of guys who can switch down and, and play you know, a few positions under their, you know, traditional position. They may throw Sohan on him uh, in that same breath. Sohan has had nice flashes, but he even he's not been that great defensively this season. Now, there's definitely been moments of brilliance, but as you mentioned, you know, it, it's about putting it together for those young guys. And when you're coming into the league, all the circumstances that surround that don't really, they don't really lend themselves to success. So, I don't think anybody's going to be stopping Tyrese Halliburton or Buddy Heald or even Miles Turner for for that matter. Yeah, I think the Pacers offense looks good right now on this road trip. It'll be tough for the Spurs who have Indiana ties abound, by the way. Blake Wesley going to Notre Dame. Of course, Romeo Langford, who overlapped with me for a year at NIU. Oh, I thought he was going to be so much better than he's <laughs> at the pro level. And I know he's missed a ton of time, but it was good to see him playing a little bit better to start the season. Of course, Doug McDermott, the sign and trade of the century as Doug McDermott traded for nothing for a great exception. How's he been for the Spurs? I know he's been hurt a little bit this season too, right? Yeah, he's been in and out of the lineup this season. I will say, even though some fans kind of harp on the defense and they think, oh, well, you know, if it's a rebuild, why is this 30 old dude, you know, on the court, you know, so often? I would argue he's been instrumental to the offense. They don't have a guy who has the shot versatility that he he has, right? He's a guy who can, you know, pull up and transition. He's a guy who you can run off screens. He relocates. He can shoot on the move. He can shoot in transition. Like, he does it all as far as three-point shooting goes. He's one of the most versatile three-point shooters in the league off ball. No one else can do that. So, you know, nobody else, what Pop calls it is space chasing. He's elite at space chasing. He just finds openings. And nobody else really does that on this roster. So I, I kind of would not want to see where the Spurs would be if he wasn't here all season because you look outside of Doug and there really isn't a lot of reliable three-point shooting on this roster. And even the guys who are shooting a good percentage, there's not a lot of versatility outside of just stationary shooting, which, you know, has its place, but it doesn't match what Doug McDermott can bring. Yeah, he is tall and can get the shot up in 
a snap of a finger so fast. Like, that's so hard to guard. I'll compare, again, I don't cover the Spurs, but him to Buddy Heald in that they're great shooters, but the the spacing helps young guys, right? Like, just yeah. have room to operate and learn, and I think that is so valuable to young teams. It's why young teams like to have shooters and don't just give them away because helping <laughs> your players learn four-on-four four instead of five-on-five, five, it's really valuable, right? So I, I'm glad to see McDermott doing well with another franchise. He was a joy to cover here. Noah, let's pivot and talk a little bit about team building. How I thought this would go is <laughs> the Pacers are in year one of a rebuild, and they wouldn't be as good as they've been this year. And I would be able to ask other people who cover other teams, you know, what their team did well rebuilding, and fans could learn a little bit about the processes from around the league. Instead, the Pacers have been, like, credibly good and might make the play, and they're only two games out right now. But still, you know, they've called it a new era, and year one of a build, and their two franchise players are... 23 and 20 years old. It's still early in their process of team building. That said, I still like to learn this information from others and compile it. And the Spurs, of course, sustained run of success in a small market. And look, they got two amazing number one picks along the way, obviously. (laughs) And Pacers fans know how the Spurs got Kawhi Leonard. We don't have to rehash all that. But you don't just win by nailing the number one pick. You have to do a lot of other stuff along the way. To make it happen. So you can do the whole Buford era. You could do the last great Spurs team. You could do this Spurs team. I, this can be as broad as you want, but in your eyes, covering the Spurs, what have they done well and poorly in team building in the past? And is it something that's replicatable by other franchises? Sure. I'll start with what they've done well. I think when you look back to the days of, you know, like the start of the championship era where you had Tim Duncan and David Robinson at the beginning. Obviously, just being bad will get you a chance at landing a generational talent. And I think what they did well was once they had that generational talent, they were looking for ways to supplement his game, to complement his game with players that maybe other people were overlooking. You know, they they found guys like Manu Ginobili. They found guys like Bruce Bowen and Tony Parker. And they brought in other guys who maybe they're not the biggest name free agents, but you have people like Brent Barry or Michael Finley, who maybe you considered he was past his prime, but he was very useful to that 2005 championship team and 2007 championship team. So they did a good job of team building around the margins where, you know, they're not going to attract these big free agent names. They're not going to bring all stars to San Antonio, but they did a really good job of trying to find guys. And I think they were part of a really big international scouting movement where like, yeah, they found Ginobili and they found Tony Parker. I don't know if those guys, if you put them in the modern era, if they would have slipped to you know the second to last pick or the 28th pick in the first round. And I think they did a really good job of those things. Now, as far as what haven't they done well, I think they've had a really hard time looking themselves in the mirror and going, we're not what we used to be. We can't continue to operate like Tim Duncan is here. Because at times it felt like during the DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge era, you got to kind of see what they could do. They took Denver to a seven-game playoff series. They didn't really improve the next year. They weren't any better the next year. But they kept running it back, and they kept doing, okay, well, we're this close to the plan. Might as well go for it. We're this close to the plan. We might as well go for it. And then they would lose in the first round of the plan, and they would lose in the first round of the plan, and nothing would happen, right? And look, I I understand pursuing a playoff appearance, even if it means you're probably going to be a first round exit. But I think it's really important to recognize that, you know, the, the, the Raptors only finished four games ahead of the Spurs a a few years ago and and they got Scotty Barnes. Um, In that same breath, you also had teams like the Pistons and 
the Kings, who only finished four and five games ahead of the Spurs a year ago. And I love Jeremy Sohan. Um, I, you know, we, we're not going to talk about Josh Primo, but the Spurs could have had, you know, Keegan Murray. They could have had a Jaden Ivey. They could have had a Scotty Barnes instead of what they have today. And I just think they haven't been willing to, to be honest with where they are. And this summer, I think they did a good job of, of really taking a step back and going, man, we're kind of just running in place. So kudos to them for kind of starting a rebuild for real this time by moving on from DeJounte Murray and recognizing that he's more of a complimentary star than a true franchise piece. But they have a lot of building left to do. And a lot of that hinges on, are they going to land Wemby? Are they going to land Scoot? Because again, you know, those lottery odds don't promise you anything, but they're definitely, you know, they help you. The better your odds, the better your chances of getting somebody like that. So we'll see what happens, but they've got a while to go. It's not going to be a quick fix. Yeah, knowing when to pull the plug is pretty important and hard to do, quite frankly. The Pacers tried to switch coaches before they tried to pull the plug, right? They barely made, similar story, right? They barely made the plan. They had good talent. They had an all-star in Sabonis, and they said, okay, let's try this through Carlisle. And it only took a few months of that season to go, okay, <laughs> let's let's tear it down. And the Spurs did it longer than that, right? Timing is so important, and I feel bad that I just started talking about the bad things the Spurs have done when they're one of the most storied franchises of my lifetime. But you know, given that these teams are currently in the same spot, I think something they, they both did to be where they are right this second is they pulled the plug at maybe the last second of the right time, but they still did it at the right time, right? They To, to the Spurs' credit, at least, they traded Murray right after he was an all-star for the first time. Like, that's yeah. hard to do, but when you get the haul they did at the time they did, it's like, okay, you know, you know what? This does make sense for us to ultimately do as far as the good parts you know that is what I, i've i've heard from a lot of teams that i've done this exercise with that i think is both very true and important and also really hard right like yeah uh I, when i did this with a den a person who covers denver ryan blackburn right he said you know they got Jokic, they figured out he's a beast they got the identity and now they've been trying to find those right pieces that complement his game and his style and the team's identity and like yes that is, that should be the goal for every team that has a generational talent, maybe a top 10 player ever like Tim Duncan, like Nikola Jokic, but it's really hard to find those guys, right? That's why yeah. they already have cycled through Monte Morris and Will Barton and are now on, you know, some other pieces in the mix. The Spurs have done such did and have done such a good job at finding those guys for years and years and years, whoever it was. Like I remember <laughs> right when I started covering the league, like no matter who the Spurs drafted, Everybody just assumed it was like a hidden gem <laughs> or, or a yeah. steal that fell because the Spurs just have it to get them. And that's still sort of the case. Uh, but but that, you know, that is because of their rep, finding these players that fit really well and important around the stars. And like, look no further than the Heatles, who the Spurs beat for like, you need those guys. You need your Mike Millers, your Norris Coles. They sound like no names, but they're so important to yeah. your team at, at your best level and finding the right talent that fits what you want to do. Mario Chalmers or who you can go on the Spurs guys, Boris Diaw, uh, the wine connoisseur, <laughs> for example. You know, you need those guys and finding them is really hard along the way because every team is trying to find them, right? And, and so finding the guy that not every team has found or is trying to find is exceedingly difficult. I'll be curious to compare the Spurs and Pacers steps in the coming years because I kind of think I don't know if both teams thought no no team goes into the year going oh we're going to be the worst team in the league right like you don't you know that teams don't think that way yeah but I think they both viewed this as year one or year one point five whatever of their current <laughs> building projects and the Pacers season has had an all star and looks like they could be 
you know, close to the plan and the Spurs look like they're going to be one of the worst teams, how that influences what year two looks like. I think that will teach me a little bit because I think these teams kind of think similarly in their front offices in general. Um, so I'll be curious how that influences the next steps for these franchises and what that looks like. Because like the inclusion of the plans pretty recent and the new draft lottery odds are pretty recent. So we don't have like a, a stellar grip of how those things are altering the NBA and how NBA teams think. And so the Spurs and Pacers will be two teams that I personally am curious how similar their next steps look after the way this particular season has gone. For sure. I, I do think that having Tyrese Halliburton, a guy who might be able to be that engine of a championship offense, that certainly helps. Whereas I think Devin Vassell is the closest approximate they have to someone who might have all-star talent. Like, I think the steps will probably look a lot different just because if you're searching for the guy, that's much harder than, I think, finding those ancillary pieces. Not that that's easy either. Obviously, we've seen a lot of teams have that generational talent and they do nothing with it. But right. I think the steps will look a little bit different. But we'll see. We'll, we'll just have to see. Who knows who might emerge for the Spurs? Who knows if they land Wimby or Scoot? So it'll be a process for both teams, but I'm really excited to watch it play out for the Pacers. Cause I think they have a lot of really interesting pieces on their team outside of Halliburton. And honestly, I've had a lot of fun watching them. They're one of the teams that I watch outside of the Spurs on league pass. So I'm rooting for them. I was watching the Spurs a lot earlier in the season. That's funny. You say that. Oh, <laughs> Devin Vassell is, she's so good. <laughs> I can't wait to see him emerge. I'm, I might be higher than on him than most. Um, but this was fun. I'm really curious to, to see this game, especially considering how the first Spurs Pacers game went where the Spurs scored. What was it? One, one forty one. It was like, a, it was a high scoring affair. In, insane number to think about given how the trajectory of this Spurs season has gone. Noah, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people follow you and your work covering the San Antonio Spurs? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. You can find my writing at Air Alamo. You can listen to our podcast coming soon. It's called Alamo City Limits. We're transitioning from SB Nation to Fan Sided. So that's all the places that you can find me. And again, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast talking about the Spurs and Pacers and can't wait to see them square off tomorrow. Or yeah, tomorrow, right? It's tomorrow, tomorrow for us. Today-ish for the listeners. This will post at a time of day. <laughs> kind of today, kind of tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, speaking of, for listeners, we'll be talking about this game. What happened? Did the Pacers continue to win and get to three wins in a row for the first time in forever and every other thing you need to know about this game? Thank you guys absolutely a ton for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.